Please turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 9. We are in our second week of a short series through Proverbs, obviously not covering the whole book of Proverbs, but we'll be looking at some key passages from that book over the next couple of months. We started last week in chapter 1, and this morning we will look at chapter 9. I'll read all 18 verses. Please give your attention to God's Word. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. When, a correct, when whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Penn State is a great university in many ways. But year after year, to the great dismay of parents and professors and administrators, it gets included on lists of the top 10 party schools in the country. Parties are powerful social rituals. To be invited to a party with the cool kids is seen as essential to being accepted and affirmed in both the high school community and certainly more so in a college community. But sadly, these parties are about a lot more than just making friends and having fun. The appeal of these parties is also the lowering of inhibitions and the crossing of boundaries. And it usually involves alcohol, drugs, and or sex. When I hear about the parties that happen on and around the campus, I hear about many foolish choices that are made in that setting. The wise choice, as we will see as we look at this passage today, is to reject the invitation to begin with. Don't put yourself in the place of temptation. We're talking about invitations. This passage is about two different invitations. We're doing an overview of the book of Proverbs these first couple of weeks. 
As we saw last week in chapter one, your whole life, every day of your life is made up of a long list of choices, decisions you have to make, both small and great. And a big part of our lives as those who follow Jesus Christ, those who call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ, is that we need to learn how to make choices in the fear of the Lord. That's what the book of Proverbs is all about. To make good decisions that benefit others, that are good for you, and that glorify God, to make good decisions motivated by the fear of the Lord. That's what Proverbs calls wisdom. Today we're going to move to the ninth chapter because chapters one to nine in Proverbs is really one whole section. It's very different from this, the last half or last two-thirds of Proverbs from chapter 10 through chapter 31. Those are typically a verse or maybe just a few verses of very pithy statements that aren't necessarily related to their context. But chapters 1 to 9 is, is a, really one long read, letter written from a wise and godly father to his son. It's a summary of how to approach life. And chapters 1 through 9 present two paths that we talked about last week. A path to wisdom and a path to foolishness. In chapter 1, let me go back to chapter 1 for just a moment, read to you the beginning where the father addresses his son. It's where we left off last week in verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. It speaks to that fear that any parent has when your child leaves home. There's a fear when your child leaves home to go to kindergarten. There's a fear when your child leaves home to go to high school. There's a fear when your child leaves home to go to college. There's a fear when your child enters into adulthood. You've spent your whole life, every day, trying to train your child in the right ways. But there's that fear that once they're on their own, once they're independent, once they're out from under your sight, they're going to start to make foolish choices. That's what the first nine chapters of Proverbs is all about. A father, a loving, godly father saying to his son, you need to make good choices. You need to make wise choices. He basically, we talked about the two paths, two, two, uh, the narrow path and the wide path. The narrow path of righteousness, the narrow path that is guided by wisdom, and the path that leads to foolishness and destruction. We talked about that last week. The father takes a different tact here in chapter 9. He personifies those two directions in life by two women, metaphorical women. And I think it makes sense. You think of a young man leaving home, leaving his covenant head, his father and his, his parents, and, and going out, living independently for the first time in his life. What's on a young man's heart and mind more than finding the right woman? And so the father says, okay, I'm going to talk about two women I want you to seek the one and totally avoid the other. The woman that he is to seek is called wisdom. I'm going to call her lady wisdom because there's an air of nobility about her. There's a royal air about wisdom. She is of the highest respectability. 
And then there is Folly, who throughout chapters one through nine, but particularly here, is portrayed like a prostitute. And so you have Lady Wisdom and Folly the prostitute. And this godly father is saying to his son, these two women are going to have a siren call to you. They're going to be, be inviting you. They're going to be luring you. They're going to be calling to you throughout your life. And you need to choose Lady Wisdom and reject Folly the prostitute. It says in verse 13 that the prostitute says she is loud. It's interesting. Characterized. First, first adjective used for her, she's loud. In other words, she's brazen, she's wild, she's crass, she's a body seductress. She's very similar, to, if you know the book of Revelation in chapter 17, it talks about the great prostitute who's dressed to the hilt garishly. She's, she's seductive. She sits on the great beast and she, it says, has a golden cup full of abominations and she's drunk with the blood of the saints. This is the folly that the godly father is warning his son against. He has raised his son to seek wisdom. But folly is always going to be there around every corner seeking to entice him to go astray. It's a life or death decision every day, wisdom or folly. Where will you party? It's interesting, as you look at the invitations, and as the way the chapter's laid out, you have the first six verses describe the invitation that comes from Lady Wisdom, and the last six verses are from the prostitute folly or foolishness. As you look at the invitation itself, wisdom's invitation is found in verse 4 and folly's invitation is found in verse 16. It's exactly the same, isn't it? They both say, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Now, simple is a description of sinners like you and me. Simple is a description that refers to somebody who's gullible, somebody who's untrained, somebody who is naive, somebody who lacks wisdom and understanding. In other words, they're vulnerable to temptation. There are people all around us who are open to these influences, both wise and foolish. And both wisdom and foolish folly are calling to those simple people, inviting them into their homes. Now, in biblical culture, from beginning to end, to invite somebody into your home is to invite somebody into a relationship with you. And isn't that still the case? If you want to get to know somebody at church, you'll invite them over to your house for dinner on Sunday afternoon because you want to let them know you, kind of open up your life and your home to them, and you want to get to know them. And even when you think of, and of course, the context here is kind of romantic relationships. You get the idea, you know, in, in a romantic relationship, if you want to get to know somebody, you want to date somebody, you take them to dinner. And so that's the, the, the imagery you have here is these two women are inviting the simple, the vulnerable, the gullible, the naive to come into their home and enjoy a meal with them. The invitations are the same, but everything else about them couldn't be more different. First of all, two different places. Look at the descriptions of the home that wisdom invites the simple sinner into, 
and the place that folly invites the simple sinner into. In verse 1, it says, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. First of all, notice wisdom built her house. Wisdom is diligent. Wisdom is a faithful worker. Wisdom is personified in Proverbs chapter 31 as the godly wife. And as you read that description of the wise wife in Proverbs 31, you see that productivity, that, that, that creativity is employed here as wisdom built her own house. And notice it says she has seven pillars to her house. In Old Testament terms, that would be a palace. Solomon maybe even be thinking of his own kingly palace. She is wealthy. She is noble. She may be even royal. And she's invited these simple sinners, these vulnerable, impressionable, blank slate sinners, she's invited them into her house for a royal banquet. That's what's described in the menu that you see in verses 2 and 5. It lists three items, fresh meat, mixed wine, and bread. Fresh meat, mixed wine, and bread. Fresh meat, again, that's not something we're used to having meat at most of our meals, but that wasn't something, that was a luxurious meal in that day. Mixed wine doesn't mean, so you might think that means the cheap wine. In other words, mixed it with water to, to make it uh, last longer or something. That's not what it means. It means mixed with honey or mixed with spices. In other words, it's special wine. It's stuff you bring out on a special occasion. And so you have a feast of meats and breads and the best of wine. Think of being invited to Buckingham Palace to a dinner with the queen. That's the imagery that's being portrayed here. But then you have folly. Look first at her house, her place. She sits at the door of her house, it says in verse 14. She sits and seduces the, the unwary, simple sinner who comes by. If you've ever been to some of the European countries, I've not actually seen it myself, but I've seen pictures of it in places like Holland, places where... Uh, promiscuity is, is rampant and, and, and prostitution is legal. There are places, there are streets that you'll walk down the street and there'll be prostitutes on both sides of the street sitting in the doorway of their apartments inviting people to come in. This is the imagery that you have. She's sitting. She didn't build her house. She's sitting. She's lazy, but she's a seductress inviting uh, these simple sinners into a dark den of iniquity. That's the contrast that we're meant to see between wisdom and foolishness. It's interesting that wisdom, as we see back in chapter 8, was involved in the creation of the universe. Wisdom creates good foods, but folly is unable to create. The bread and water that she offers is a, is a corruption of what is intended to be good. It's interesting, it says stolen water and bread eaten in secret. In other words, she didn't create this. She stole the bread and the appeal, 
This is, the, this is where you put yourself in the shoes of the sinner. The appeal is not the bread and water. I mean, how can, why would you choose bread and water as a meal over the finest of meats and breads and wines? Why would you choose bread and water? The implication here is because it's stolen and because it's taken in secret. There's an air of rebellion about it. It's that appeal of sin. Sin has an appeal to it. The idea, because of our sin nature, the idea of stepping over that threshold into sin, of crossing a boundary from what is morally right to morally wrong, there's an excitement about that. There's a thrill about it. It's stolen bread. It's stolen water. It's water and bread that's eaten in secret. Isn't that the way with sin? The mystery of sin is that what it actually offers is far less than what God created. You think, again, in this context, it's hard not to think immediately of sexual sin. But when you think of what pornography gives to the sinner, what adultery gives to the sinner, what fornication gives to the sinner, is so far less than marital relations that God created Sexual intimacy between a husband and wife in a lifelong covenant of marriage. What folly offers cannot satisfy, and it only leads to an unhealthy life. And ultimately, we'll see in a moment, it leads to death. You see, we, as we see in the New Testament, it says clearly Satan cannot create anything. He can only corrupt what God has created to be good. And when you think of the enticements of foolishness, and of course foolishness is a personalized picture of Satan himself. What he offers is like the cheese in a mousetrap. Pleasurable for a moment, but a pain that is final. And so the places in the menu couldn't be more different if your eyes are open to see what it is. And then we have the consequences. What's the morning after like for the one who dines with Lady Wisdom at her banquet or the one who goes in to the prostitute folly? It says for Lady Wisdom in verse 6, they live and walk in the way of insight. In verse 11, for by me, Lady Wisdom says, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life you will be given life and life abundant. Of course, we said last week that living by wisdom doesn't guarantee a long earthly life, but when the Old Testament talks about a long life, it ultimately is pointing to eternal life. And wisdom leads to eternal life. We know because of Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, it describes the the life, the father for his son describes the life lived by wisdom, beginning in verse 16. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. And then at the end of chapter 8, 
Wisdom herself speaks, and she says, And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways, hear instruction, and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. And as we see in chapter 9, that's all that folly has to offer. Pleasure for the moment. A pleasure that may be intense in the moment, but as soon as it's over, it's gone and there leaves nothing to satisfy. Nothing to bless. And ultimately, it only leads to death. That's verse 18. The morning after the stolen bread and the stolen water. It says the dead are there. Her guests are in the depths of Sheol. For folly, today's guest list is tomorrow's obituary. In chapter 14, verse 12, Solomon says it clearly. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And so here's the contrast. The place, the meal, and the consequences of the invitations. And then it goes on, if you go back to verse 3, it says that wisdom sends out her young women to call the simple. Who are these young women? Who are these maidens that she sends out? And again, it's using the imagery of a, of a noble woman who has many servants, many maidens who would go out and, and take the invitations out into the marketplace, out into the city, out into the countryside. Who are they? Who do they represent? Well, of course, they represent anyone who takes the wisdom of God's word to those who need to hear it. Represents the preachers, the evangelists, the Sunday school teachers, the Bible study leaders, the mentors. Anyone who takes the word of God full of the wisdom of God to simple people who need to hear it. And verse 6 speaks of what the call is to these simple ones. And basically here you have a picture of conversion. They say, leave your simple ways. In other words, repent. Turn from sin towards the Lord. Repent. Secondly, live. Receive the life that is offered to you as a gift. Eternal and abundant life. And then walk in the way of insight. Walk in the way of wisdom. Be submissive to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Obey him. Walk in his ways. That is the abundant life that wisdom offers. But then what's interesting is you move to the middle section. I said the first six verses describe Lady Wisdom and her banquet, and the last six verses describe Folly the prostitute and her stolen meal. But in the middle, in verses 7 to 12, basically what you have are instructions for those maidens as they go out into the countryside and out into the marketplace to, to give the invitations to wisdom, here's the instruction about what they should expect in, beginning in verse 7 through 9. There's two responses to the invitation of wisdom. We are all simple, keep that in mind. And our response is determined by the state of our heart, according to Scripture. And the first category of people that respond are called the scoffers. The word scoff means the same thing it means in English, to mock, to make fun of, to despise and to make fun of. That is the person who has chosen 
the ways of folly, the prostitute, over and over and over again to the point where their heart has become hard. It's a long series of choices that results in a spiritual deafness, a spiritual uh, blindness that is incapable of responding favorably to the invitation to wisdom. What this shows us is that your, your destination, your destiny is not determined by one choice. We tend to talk about a choice when we are, when we are converted, but it's never just one choice. It's a series of choices that are made. And choices to accept the invitation of wisdom lead to life, but choices to reject wisdom lead to hardness of heart and death. Those who teach God's wisdom are told here, do not reprove a scoffer. Isn't that interesting advice? There are people in your life that you're trying to share the word of God with. There are people in your life that you're trying to share the gospel with. And it says that if you, if you come upon a scoffer, do not rebuke them. Do not reprove them. Do not invite them. Isn't that interesting that we'd be told that there are some that we are to turn away from? It says here that even though we intend to do them good, the response, the only response, is abuse and injury and hatred. You've probably experienced that, trying to share the truth of God's word with someone who really fits the biblical category of scoffer, somebody who's hardened in heart and has become a mocker of what is true. I'm old enough to have lived before the internet. And uh, I remember when the internet first came out, when they first, uh, when uh, Al Gore invented the internet, I remember that before that happened, that I first heard, when I first heard about it, I thought, what a great vehicle to share the truth of God's word with so many people. I mean, you could reach anybody with the internet. What a, I mean, the church has got to embrace this. We've got to get the word out. I mean, what, who could have imagined having a, a pipeline directly into everybody's home to, to broadcast the truth of God's word? But we all quickly found out that the internet is not a very good vehicle for getting the truth of God's word out. Matter of fact, if you've ever tried to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, about sin, about hell, about the need for repentance on an internet forum or on social media, you find out in a hurry that all you do is attract the scoffers. And they will, in the words of, the, of King Solomon here, they will abuse and injure and hate you. You see... Scripture is realistic. It recognizes that some people have become so hardened to the truth that you need to not bang your head against that brick wall, but go look for somebody who's willing to listen. Jesus gave that same message to his disciples. Remember, he taught them. He tried to prepare them for this the same way that Proverbs 9 prepares us for it. Jesus said, when you go out, you're going to be like sowers of the seed. You're going to be like a farmer. And you're going to be tossing your seed out into a field. But some of that seed's going to fall on the path, on the trampled down ground that is hard as a rock and the seed cannot penetrate it and it won't do any good. Some of the seed you're going to sow among thorns and thistles, which represent the distractions of this life, the worldliness of this life, the priorities of this world. 
and it's not going to, it's going to may, may sprout some roots, but it's never going to grow. It's never going to bear fruit. But some of the seed you sow is going to fall on good, prepared ground. And the seeds are going to bear roots, and they're going to bear fruit, and it's going to bear a hundredfold of a harvest. And he's trying to prepare his disciples for the fact that some people are not going to be at all responsive. Some people are going to be too distracted and caught up in the things of this world. Focus where the Holy Spirit is working. Focus where the heart is prepared to receive the truth. In Mark chapter 6, verse 11, as he sent them out to the towns around Judea, he said this, If any place will not receive you and they, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them and move on to the next town. Don't spend your time beating your head against a brick wall where there is a mocker that is hardened to what you're trying to tell them. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, he states it a little more harshly. He says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. That sounds really harsh, but it's just reality. And, and if you've ever tried to share the word of God with a mocker, with a scoffer, you know what he's talking about. Go to where the Holy Spirit is already working. That's what the scriptures teach us is that we can share the truth until we're blue in the face, but if the Holy Spirit is not preparing the heart, the person will not receive it. But the Holy Spirit is working all around us. There are people being drawn to Christ, people that are having their hearts open, their eyes open, their ears open to truth all around us. We just need to look for them and share the word of truth with them. So you have the scoffer the one who has become hardened in their rejection of the truth. But it also talks about in verses 8 and 9, the wise man, the one whose heart is prepared, the one with a heart with good soil. It says the wise man loves being reproved, or it actually says loves the one who reproves him. In other words, you see that God is working through those who correct you, those who are showing you that you're on the path of foolishness, those who are pointing out the foolishness in your life, you love those people because they're leading you to Christ. They're leading you to truth. They're leading you to the abundant life that Christ promises. Think about the people who led you to Christ, the people who mentored you in the Lord, the, the preachers, the teachers, the Bible study leaders, the friends who shared the wisdom of God's word with you early in your Christian walk. You love those people, don't you? And that's a love for lady wisdom. It's a love for God, ultimately, because God used that person to point you to truth and true wisdom. When you first come to Christ, you're like a sponge. You just have so much to learn, and you've been given a heart by grace to learn wisdom, to know Christ, to be forgiven, and to share that message of forgiveness with others. And so we come to verse 10, which restates the motto of the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's that new heart. See, we, aren't, we weren't born with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord comes as a gift. It comes from the Holy Spirit. It's the description of the very attitude and mindset of the new heart that Christ gives us when we become Christians. We are given a fear of the Lord. And as we saw last week, it's not a terror, it's a reverence. It's an awe before the greatness and glory 
of an infinite and almighty God who created all things and who is the judge of all men. This is the fear of the Lord that is both love and awe before an infinite being. That is the gift. And it is that fear of the Lord that makes us teachable. Because as we saw last week, the fear of the Lord gives us the gift of submission. Where we have a heart now that wants to submit to Christ. Wants to submit to him as Lord. Wants to live to his glory and stop living for our glory. To live for his kingdom instead of living for our kingdom. And so what this all comes down to is just this final question. You're going to be invited to one party or the other. With whom will you party? Lady Wisdom or Folly the Prostitute? These two voices call out to you every day. Whoever is simple, turn in here. One voice is calling you to satisfaction and eternal life. The other is calling you to death and destruction. And of course, Lady Wisdom is a shadow. It's an Old Testament shadow. It's an Old Testament metaphor. It's an Old Testament picture of who Christ would become. He is wisdom incarnate. He is the embodiment of all of God's wisdom because he is the eternal son of God, the second person of the Trinity. God became man. Wisdom became man and dwelt among us. And he lived a perfect life. He lived wisdom perfectly. Go to the source. He not only teaches perfect wisdom, he has lived it as a human being and without sin. But the really good news is for fools like you and I who have taken that path of foolishness more times than we could ever imagine. The, the, the good news is that he took that perfect life of wisdom in thought, word, and deed and then offered it up on the cross as a sacrifice in our place. He shed his blood. He died to bear the punishment that all of our foolishness and thoughts, words, and deeds deserved. And God accepted that sacrifice. And he raised him from the dead. And he is our risen Lord. And he gives life to all who put their trust in him. That's the wisdom of the gospel. That's why the New Testament says that Jesus Christ is the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus often talked about banquets in his teaching. I'm going to read to you one of those parables briefly. Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 16. Here's his story. He says, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many and at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I've bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought a five yoke of oxen, and I need to go and examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master, and then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and there's still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges, and compel the people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. You see, the requisite for being truly enjoying 
and benefiting from the banquet that Christ offers, the true banquet of wisdom, is that you recognize that you are the poor, the lame, the blind, the ones who have nothing to offer. You are willing to give up this world, whereas the ones who rejected the invitation were so caught up in the rewards and pleasures of this world and responsibilities of this world that they rejected the invitation. And so what this shows us is it's not just the mockers. It's easy to think of the mockers being left out of the banquet because they're the ones making fun and throwing stones, but some people are just too busy. Some people are just too caught up in the things of the world. Some people have worldly priorities that are keeping them from accepting the invitation. That's just the question I want to leave with you. Wherever you're at, we're all in different spiritual places. I pray that there are no mockers here this morning. But if, there, if, you're, if you have come to the conclusion you're somehow here under distress and you're a mocker, even you are not beyond the grace of God. The Holy Spirit can soften any heart, even against your own desires. Pray for God to open your eyes and your ears and to change your heart. If you're distracted and living for folly the prostitute, if that's your life, if that really describes the choices you're making day in and day out, Lady Wisdom calls to you. Turn away and come and, and, and eat with the Lord. Sup with the Lord. Dine with the Lord. Have fellowship with the Lord. Enter into his kingdom by faith. There you will find abundant life. And just think about what you have here. I just want to close with, a, with an appeal to what the church of Jesus Christ offers to you. I know there are many people here this morning that have paid and are paying and will continue to pay tens of thousands of dollars to get education, to get knowledge from the place down the street. And that's good, and that's fine, and it'll be valuable to you to your career, I hope anyway. But the banquet of God's wisdom that is offered here in this place is free and open to anyone who's willing to hear it. God's word is powerful. God's word is life-changing. God's word will give you eternal satisfaction. Turn away from what the world has to offer. Turn to wisdom. Turn to wisdom incarnate. Turn to Jesus Christ. Find life and find it abundantly. Let's pray. Father, why you have given us so much when we are so undeserving, I'll never understand. Father, your word is true. Your word is life. Your word is life-giving and life-transforming. And Lord, thank you for opening our eyes. Thank you for giving us ears to hear. Thank you for taking away our hearts of stone and giving us hearts of flesh that desire, that hungers for the truth. And Lord, we come to you ask you to give us wisdom. You promised us in James chapter 1 that when we ask for wisdom, you always honor that request. And so, Lord, as, as individuals and as a body of believers here, we ask you to increase our wisdom, especially as we continue in these studies of Proverbs over the coming weeks. Lord, help us to choose wisely because Christ has become Lord and you've changed our heart that we would love and serve him. In his name we pray. Amen.